Hello there. This is Cassia. And this is Brian. Welcome to The Ebon Hawk, a podcast discussing Star Wars news and Knights of the Old Republic. Spoiler alert for Knights of the Old Republic series and the Star Wars films, TV shows, and all other media. This is where the fun begins. All right. Uh, and with the trio uh, in Act Two of Knights of the Old Republic, like my goal is to get them to spend time with each other, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And in the first act, uh, kind of like on Terrace, like Karth and Revan spend time together, and then on Dantooine, um, Revan and Bastila spend time together, and then in the last half, I think it would kind of be like Karth and Bastila. Because, like, watching the sequel trilogy, I think, like, they didn't really... The trio didn't spend time together, you know, like, uh, Ray, Poe, and Finn, mm-hmm. like, until the end of the second movie, you know? And I was like, I feel like they need more more interaction, you know? Um, yep. So, with Karth, Karth is older and not a Jedi. The film would kind of obviously spend more time on Revan and Bastila, because, like, they're developing... A, like a relationship, you know, and they're Jedi and they're searching for the Starforge. Uh, Karth's included. Like, Karth is not going to be part of a love triangle. And I'm like, oh, thank goodness, because I hate love triangles, you know? Uh, <laughs> right. Like, if there is a love triangle, it's between like Bastla and Secrets and Revan. Like, there's no <laughs> Karth yeah. or Malak as like, as like romantic rivals, you know? Um, right. Karth is not being told the whole truth. He can kind of sense it, and yeah. But um, with Revan and Bastila, like one thing I love about George Lucas is just like a lot of modern films, like they either do romances, kind of just like oh, just do a romance, who cares, you know? Like they just add it, you know, like just as an afterthought, and like it can be not really well written, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. or it can just be subtle or they'll be like no romance romance makes people weak you know but what I love about uh, George Lucas is like the prequel trilogy I love how just like earnest um, earnest like the, the Anakin and Padme stuff is like mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of like hearkening back like Anakin Padme to like uh the Middle Ages, actually, like, kind of like that courtly love tradition. And, like, Han and Leia is kind of, like, less um, contemporary to, like, the 70s and 80s. And it's more like a screwball comedy from the 1930s. Uh, and with Revan and Bastila, like, I kind of see it as, like, a nuanced but yet earnest kind of romance. You know, like, uh, kind of like the best of, like... Anakin and I was gonna say Anakin and Obi-Wan but I meant Anakin and Padme (laughs) and then like Han, Leia and I guess like the best of like Ben and Rey you know because I feel like in act one like they'll have chemistry you know like yeah and then they like with act two they have to kind of spend more time with each other and then it's like they they have a force bond and it kind of grows and I think the main impediment to that relationship is the truth of who Revan is. Um, so that's kind of like 
kind of just like giving the trio time to to be a trio is what I see. And then like uh, Karth might not have as much to do like with the quest as maybe like Revan and Bastila, but he's still a, a facet there. And I think with like mm-hmm. uh, Revan and Bastila, like it is a romance. It's just written as a romance, you know, uh, like, I mean, it's still Star Wars, you know, but uh, the truth is the impediment. So that's kind of like how I how I see the trio. But what about you? I see it very similar to that, actually. So um, I think that you'll see kind of the kind of the romance starts to bud like towards, you know, at the end of uh, film one, when we're on Kashyyyk, everyone's everyone's happy. And that seems like kind of the ideal time to uh, start start exploring these uh, romantic feelings that they have, um, and then so that gives that gives it plenty of time to build through this film because you know they're separated at the end of it, and we'll spend you know the bulk of the third film kind of separated from it as well. But I think that it's yeah, it's important to explore that, and I think I think it's really important for the characters to not portray Karth as kind of this like third wheel type of a character right? Like he, he should be included and he should be important. Um, and I think that he probably does a lot of growth in this second film. So, uh, we're getting to see him, you know, have his confrontation with Saul. I think that, um, you know, he's kind of facing his demons there and, uh, possibly with, you know, finding out that his you know son's alive, but he's on the wrong side now. Um, so just a lot for Karth to kind of process, but yeah, I don't, I don't see him as being like this love triangle kind of a character. Um, you know, just, you know, just one of like these, these three characters that are spending a lot of time together that have, you know, kind of similar ideals and some similar goals, um, and, you know, trying to, uh, do their best to keep this party together and moving forward. Yeah. And like, honestly, like, uh, in our postcard we made for the end, our spire, like, I think like Bastila and Karth, like they've worked together They're I, they would kind of have like a, a working relationship. I would say like, they're probably work buddies, you know? So, mm-hmm. yeah. I think he he probably holds Bastila in, in pretty high esteem. Like you said, they'd probably, you know, kind of had served together and uh, worked together and uh, spent a fair bit of time together kind of throughout everything, you know, prior to, you know, when this film and when the game would have you know started taking place. So. Yeah. And I think Karth is like, is he 38? I think like 38 or in his early 40s. But um, yeah. Yeah. So- I could also... I could also almost see Karth as being like a like a big brother or like father figure almost to Bastila, you know, especially losing his uh, wife and his son, you know, so he would be, you know, pretty protective over her, as, yeah. you know, especially if if she's kind of that same age as she is, you know, in the game, like, you know, 18, 19 years old, something like that. So Oh, please, no. Um, like, <laughs> <laughs> if they kept people the same ages as in the game, I, uh, I'd be like, no, this is... Ugh. <laughs> then like Revan's 38 I'm like nope not doing that but um I do like having Karth being like kind of like an older brother like maybe mm-hmm. I'm just I don't know with with Star Wars sometimes it's like how about another father figure and it's like I think I don't know I I, I feel you know pretty I yeah there's a lot of fathers in Star Wars you know like <laughs> but let's have some brother stuff you know but um 
any other comments like on the trio or or should we kind of look at uh individual character arcs do you think no i think um the only uh other thing i'd kind of want to mention about the trio is so the second film here is going to be kind of more um in depth at looking into the characters and uh, we're starting to see that you know the trio here is having kind of their own inner turmoils um and by and large i think they're kind of keeping that to themselves so i just it'll be fun to see how kind of their personality traits and how these inner turmoils that they're dealing with are going to kind of clash and coincide yeah and like that that's kind of what happens in the midpoints of like star wars trilogies uh it, mm-hmm. it started with like uh empire strikes back you know like in a new hope uh you kind of get your your hero's journey and then um empire strikes back is kind of like a look at like what's happening underneath you know uh yep like who are these characters it's kind of like the first uh kind of like you get a lot of parallelism in uh empire strikes back and then like uh you get a redemption in uh return of the jedi uh and that that pattern carries, you know, through throughout uh, the Skywalker saga in all the trilogies. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I kind of see like I kind of see that pattern holding, you know. But yep, yeah. But when we when we kind of look at like the characters, the main character is obviously Revan. Before I kind of talk about like what my uh, kind of character arc is for him, I have a question for you. Okay. Without the Leviathan, do you think Revan would have discovered the truth about himself? Um, I think the easy answer is to say yes, because he still probably would have had to confront Malak on the Starforge eventually at some point. But if you if you take Malak out of the uh, kind of equation there, um, I think yes, probably, um, especially in kind of meeting Jolie and exposing himself to different ideals other than the Jedi, and uh, I kind of had those notes here for kind of the Jolie and and Revan character arcs, but I think eventually he would have kind of worked it out. Maybe not necessarily that he was Revan, or at least not right away that he was Revan, but I think he would have kind of gotten to the point where he thought something something was up about his identity and why he was missing all of these memories. Yeah. What about you? Do you think he would have gotten there eventually? I have to think so. Um, because there's just so many coincidences along the way. Um, but I think like Malik telling him is maybe one of the worst ways he could have figured out, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. so like he has a, he has a lot to deal with. Um, but I think his arc in act two is he's finding his place in all this, like, in his mind, he's just a first-time Jedi, you know, in a galaxy at war. But he's unknowingly mm-hmm. done all of this before, like, again, and for the first time. Like, he's been a Jedi, been a Sith Lord, and then a Jedi again. Like, it's a lot, you know? Um, right. He's becoming a better person. And in a way, this is kind of like Star Wars... Uh, examining living atonement and maybe it's a a bit like purgatory you know but it's kind of meaningless if he's being a better person unless he knows who he truly is so like the reveal kind of changes the whole 
scope of the story, I think. So that's kind of what I think the the character arc, uh, character explanation, what it means is. But what about you? Yeah, I think for I think for Revan, like you said, he's he's kind of you know going through this for for the first time, you know, and he he thinks that he's uh, kind of a Jedi and he's getting, you know, Bastila in his ear telling him, you know, <laughs> right from wrong and what he should do in these situations and uh, things like that. But I think that as we go through the story, you're going to see him kind of, you know, unlocking parts of him himself, uh, like maybe, you know, confrontations you know, on, on Tatooine or Manon or, you know, wherever they might take place and, you know, he can do something and he's like, that doesn't make any sense that I can do that. Why can, why can I do that? Or why am I this strong or yeah, you know, stuff like that, that just is uh, kind of, you know, given, giving him pause as to, you know, what Bastel is telling him and what he's actually seeing uh, in himself. Um, and I think that a part of the film is going to kind of, kind of explore kind of that gray area. And then especially after the reveal, um, I think that that's going to, um, you know, take a pretty hard turn uh, for that, you know, kind of aspect of Revan's character going into the third film. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's just, Revan is so interesting, and I think, like, giving him a a character, I think some people would be like, no, he needs to be this, but I think if you just, like, do a good story, I think, uh, like, a lot of people can get behind it, like... Because you're still going mm-hmm. through the journey with Revan, like he's the protagonist. So, yeah. Yep. Uh, with Bastila. I see her going from perfect Jedi, like maybe perfect is in quotes, you know, to Sith mm-hmm. apprentice. Because like in this film, she's dealing with family attachment issues, uh, kind of like unresolved, maybe like childhood issues, you know, like with her mother and her father. And then like dealing with an attraction to Revan, who was like literally an ex-Sith Lord. And then dealing with the war feeling held back by the council. So, like, and then, like, Malik kind of reveals, like, oh, yeah, Bastila, the perfect Jedi, was lying to all of you and didn't trust you. Uh, and then, like, she's on her own, you know? Uh, so I think mm-hmm. it's the perfect cocktail for someone to turn to the dark side. And I kind of see Bastila as, like, kind of like the overworked honor student who goes through a phase? Yep. Like, what do you what do you think about that? Yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. I think you know throughout throughout this film, she's going to really be struggling to kind of maintain her identity as you know as honor student, as top number one Jedi recruit uh, out there. Um, and I think you'll probably start to see. I mean, you'll have you know kind of the interactions with her mother, and you'll see like specific things that will. Uh, lead you to pause, but I think that you're going to see Bastila start having to, um, not really, not make excuses. That's that's not the not the right way to say it, but kind of justifying her actions and decisions, and 
you know, we should do this because that's what the Jedi would do. And, you know, everyone, you know, maybe uh, she gets a little bit of pushback on it and then she has to start rationalizing those those decisions a little bit more um, and just starting to, you know, kind of unravel a little bit. Yeah, I think like if the writing and directing is good, like an actress would like have so much fun with this role, you know, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yep. And then with Karth, I see this as like an interesting and difficult chapter in his character's story, like drama, you know, he's right. Yeah. There's more to the story. Like Revan's literally Revan. Vassal is keeping the fact from him and he's just trying to do his duty. And like with his background, like I think it is just for him to be a little suspicious because suspicious stuff is happening. Like, I mean, I've probably have given Karth a lot of bad raps in the past. And I think a lot of the fans are like, Oh, Karth is so annoying. Cause he always says he doesn't want to talk about it. But then I'm like, leave Karth alone. You know, like he's, he's been through a lot. Okay. <laughs> um, and like the trio in this movie, I feel like coming out of one, it seems like, yeah, nothing can take them apart. But then this movie, uh, everything is just going to like rip them apart. I think, which I mm -hmm. think will make, them coming together again uh, so much better in the next one. Like, Karth in uh, KOTOR 1, he's kind of like, he's been hurt. And then Act 2 of KOTOR, it's like, it gets worse. Like, can he trust mm -hmm. anyone he wants to trust? And then, like, I've kind of hinted at it, but, like, uh, in the future we'll talk about Act 3. And then in that film, it's like, he's learning to trust and learning that people can become better again. That That's what I see. Yeah. The second film for Karth, it's just, it's kind of a lot of stuff chipping away at him, right? A lot of extra weight being put on his shoulders, you know, between, uh, you know, having to, having to keep his temperament on Manon, um, dealing with Saul and the Leviathan, the capture, um, you know, potentially learning about his, uh, son, um, and then obviously the big reveal, but you know, Karth is a Republic soldier, right? So he's probably led his life, you know, being stoic and, uh, you know, trying not to, you know, show where his emotions on his sleeve. So when he says he doesn't want to talk about it, that's, that's because that's probably a Republic soldier's view on things, right? You don't talk about it. You keep that stuff to yourself. So you just see like this weight just, you know, slowly you know kind of bearing down on Karth so that's that's why I think the reveal to Revan is almost as impactful to Karth as it is you know for anyone else in the party yeah I mean by the time this episode comes out maybe the the art that we had astronaut art create uh for the reveal on the Leviathan may be released uh mm -hmm. by then but it's just such a it's such a moment to capture, you know, it's like, it's almost like a, a narrator going like, and this is the moment where everything went wrong, you know, because like, Robin's like, <laughs> right. what? And then like, Basil's like, I can't explain. And Karth is like, what? And then Malik's like, yeah. I'm just having fun, you know, torturing all these people, you know, with the truth, <laughs> yeah. you know, so. Yeah, yeah. Karth, Karth hits his limit, I think, right there. Yeah. Yeah, like a lot of a lot of limits were were reached on the Leviathan, I think. Uh, but but yeah, like it. it I 
I almost think this is a better twist than than like the Luke Invader one. Maybe that's Star Wars heresy. Like you you can let me know <laughs> in the comments. But um Yeah. Yeah, but with Jolie, I think he's focused on guiding Revan and Bastila to make the right choice. I think he can kind of sense that the galaxy kind of ha hangs in the balance, like, and it's going to have a lot to do with these two people. I see him kind of as like a Qui-Gon or Ahsoka. He's not going to just be dogmatic, like the Jedi council. Um, right. I think like Jolie's going to have to like learn throughout the trilogy, just kind of learning to re-engage with the greater galaxy after a period of exile, which is, Basically, all of us coming out of Corona, I think. And I was like, oh, yeah. I personally identify with that. But anyways, Jolie isn't a student anymore. He's not the hero anymore. And I don't know if that would be a hard transition for him, but now he's the mentor. And it's kind of like you you lived your life and now you're kind of cultivating the next, you know. So I was mm -hmm. like, oh, that it's kind of interesting to kind of be like he can't be like the Revan you know he can't be the one kind of like who makes the choice to either save or conquer the galaxy he has to kind of allow things like he can't control it you know he has to like kind of let things happen as they're gonna happen and I was like oh it's it's almost like I think more difficult to kind of be the one to kind of just have to be like Here's what I think about this. You have to be your own person and make your own choice. And Jolie kind of has to let go and trust, you know, in the force. Mm -hmm. I definitely agree with that. I think that Jolie's main purpose here in this you know, cast of characters is to uh, kind of point out that there's more to being a Jedi than just being a Jedi and listening to the code. I think <laughs> I think that uh, Bastila is probably going to be annoyed by <laughs> Jolie, you know, whenever she gives some sort of direction and, you know, Jolie, you know, pushes back on it. It's like, well, we don't have to do that or you know, we could we could do this other thing. Right. Um, so I think that, you know, they might come to a head. But I think that Jolie's really going to relish in this role. He's going to be kind of given the opportunity to be a mentor again, you know, to teach again, because that's where kind of his, you know, inner turmoil and struggles really started right when he took on his uh wife as a padawan and that went really terribly and now he's had you know the last 20 years to kind of sit and ponder that so now he has kind of a fresh opportunity with um you know being kind of this you know sounding board for bastila for revan and then um I think Juhani when she's, you know, reintroduced to the group as well. So I think that Jolie is going to be a really pivotal character in uh, keeping Revan from, you know, turning back to the dark side. So, Yeah, Jolie has has a lot more going on than I think a, a lot of uh, fans realize. And it's funny because, like, I never would have thought I would put, like, Jolie as, like, the fourth character on the list, you know, but... Then I was like, as like, we've kind of talked through everything. I'm like, oh, he's the fourth character on the list, you know? So, um, yep. the fifth character on the list, uh, is Candorous. Like, I think like his character arc is like kind of realizing he has changed. The Mandalorian mm -hmm. Wars are over. He was part of a defeated army, you know? And I think like when you're when you leave the military you know like 
it's a transition, but like to be a transition, like transitioning, like after a war in which your side was defeated, I think it would like Mm kind of hang heavily on him because like Mandalorian culture, it's like so much about warfare and honor. Uh, So I think like over the course of like uh, one and two, he's kind of realizing like he can have more than war, you know, ultimately he will always be a warrior, but like he's not defined by it like he has more you know to to his identity than that and like he i think grudgingly makes friends and companions and he can save the group kind of a la han solo's turn in a new hope you know and i think you have to kind of give candorous maybe a little bit of his arc from knights of the old republic too like some of that arc in Knights of the Old Republic one, you know, uh, for him to kind of have more to do rather than just be like, I'm a gruff warrior. That's like, Oh, mm-hmm. cool. You know? All right. Yeah. Yeah. I think for, for me, Candorous, I think that kind of to sum it up, he's just like a, like a returning ally and uh friend. So we see him in, uh, Tatooine he kind of goes off to you know deal with the situation with Jaggy on his own and maybe he says something to the effect that you know let him know when you need him he'll be back or he promises to come back or something but no one really believes him right maybe they're they're still kind of distrustful of him and the way that they met and the fact that he's a Mandalorian uh, possibly so I, I think he leaves and uh, kind of everyone assumes that that's the last we're going to see of him and then you know at, at the end of you know our proposed film you know, they kind of call out for, for help and everyone comes back, um, except for Candorous or, you know, at least so we think. Um, and he kind of, you know, turns up at the last minute or is there to, you know, to save everyone, you know, at, at kind of the, at the last second to, to get out of there. So, and you know, he could say something along the lines of, you know, I told you I'd come back or, you know, I, you know, you guys are my friends. I'll, I'll always be here for you. Just like I said. And, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a story of, you know, him being, being a real ally, being a real friend and being a real part of this party, even though kind of, you know, everyone on screen had thought that that wasn't the case. And, um, by the time he turns up, everyone in the audiences thought that that was the case too. Yeah. Good points there. Um, then in our in my mind, like Candorous and Juhani kind of like lead the charge on the Leviathan to save everyone. Uh, so the next character on the list is Juhani, and in Act One, I I kind of see her as like kind of having like a, a personal crisis, like kind of dealing with like the dark side, but overcoming it because uh, Revan helps her. Uh, mm-hmm. But I see like in Act One, like she's. She's probably grown up with Bastila, you know, like they're classmates and probably friends. I would say like throughout the the trilogy, like kind of incorporate Juhani's relationship with Balea, not just like not bring it up, you know, like kind of incorporate mm-hmm. it, you know. And sure. Juhani struggles with the dark side but overcomes it, like I said, in Act 1. And then in Act 2, um, she rescues the crew with Candorous, and then looking forward to Act 3, she's going to be more of an active part of the mission. Um, mm-hmm. And I think she's going to kind of 
be of the the group like I guess like kind of become like a grayish Jedi you know kind of more like Jolie and Revan you know at the end of uh act three like because she spent time with them going on a mission you know and saves the galaxy so that's what I kind of see yeah yeah I think um like I said we haven't really spent much time with Juhani um when we uh left her you know we her fate was kind of in the balance. Um, so by, you know, coming back to our aid to help escape, you know, it kind of proves that she's, you know, dedicated herself to, you know, fighting for uh, the team and, you know, kind of, you know, has this realization that just because you've made mistakes in the past, you know, those are in the past. It doesn't mean that you have to, you know, continue down that path. You know, you can, you can change and you can uh, be better. And that's, that's kind of her story arc. And yeah, I think that, um, her interactions with Jolie going forward are uh, going to be really interesting. I think that that would probably be one of my kind of most underrated sort of character developments going into the uh, third act here. Yeah. And I think that ironic designs in episode, I believe it was 45, like kind of articulated uh, better than, than I ever could that like Juhani kind of represents like the LG. BT uh, audience, so I think like giving her a, a good arc, um, mm-hmm. kind of can like speak to a lot of people, you know, and uh, yeah, yeah. So I think like yeah, with with a good writer uh, and director, like good editing, it's it's a great role, and I think it's an important role to a lot of people. So um, yep, for sure. HK47, in my mind, he kind of mirrors Revan in Act 2 because he's a blank slate. His memory has been wiped, you know? And then, like, Mm -hmm. once Revan learns who he actually is, like, HK47 regains his memories. So I kind of see it, like, as, like, in my mind, like, T3M4 is, like, Bastila's droid. And then, like, HK47 is literally Revan's droid. Um, so it's kind of like HK47 is kind of literally an external validation to the fact that Revan is Revan, you know? So it's kind of like an external proof, you know? So it's like, I don't know. I, I, I find it a little funny, but, um, I think like HK47 is kind of there to like kind of help advance the plot on Tatooine for sure. And like, is a good assistant, you know, you know, on the Love Viathon. And then I think on HK, like on Manon, they're kind of like, and now you're going to be quiet for the good of the Republic war effort, you know? So <laughs> right. what do you think? Yeah, I think, um, it's like kind of the, the big things that HK has to do in this film. Like you said, he's kind of a, kind of a, a plot point on uh Tatooine. And then, uh, he's going to help kind of bail everyone out on the Leviathan. But I think kind of his, overarching presence he's kind of like the opposite of c-3po right c-3po was always nervous and didn't want to go get into any trouble and told everyone the bad odds but uh hk is going to be the opposite you know you land on manan he's like let's just go you know <laughs> take all these guys out you know 
you know, no problem. Let's go, let's go do this. So it's, it's kind of just the opposite of, of that for me, but yeah, definitely kind of a good, kind of a vocalized persona for, uh, Revan for sure. I think. Yeah. And then uh, next on the list, I have T3 M4. I've, I wrote down two words. Looks cute. Mm -hmm. But I think I did mention like, maybe we can kind of like give him a little bit more to do. Like he can do like all the fun, like astromech droid stuff. And like, if you kind of incorporate like him into the, like, creating like the star maps and keeping track of everything uh that would be cool so he's kind of just there (laughs) he is kind of just there yeah um uh yeah i think he's i think he's going to help hk on the uh on the leviathan getting getting everyone you know freed out of their prison cells and um like i said i think he's going to have kind of an important part to play on manan just you know getting getting data and opening doors and doing all the you know traditional astromech stuff but yeah i think that um i hadn't even really thought about it until you had mentioned it earlier but he's kind of like a like a mobile gps for the ebon hawks so i think that that you could definitely keep him as part of the team in a lot of these instances just because you know he's going to be there and sort of do the computation needed for the data we're getting from this star map to figure out where the team needs to go and agreed, he does look cute. Yeah, he needs a Funko Pop. So, um, I don't know. It feels like every week we're getting more merch announcements. So, yeah. I might as well just send this out to the universe. T3M4 Funko Pop, please, you know? So <laughs> Yeah, let's do it yeah. for sure. And maybe we'll have to, like, edit that out because it's like it was already announced and that would be awesome. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Mission and Big Z, they are next on the list and in my mind like they're on Kashik, you know and it's kind of like this is like their study abroad well, I guess like Big Z's returning home you know it's like kind of like they're going to college you know and they're living their best life and like maybe it's a bit like they're having fun becoming who they're meant to be and like I like what you said like maybe like they they rejoin the party on the Leviathan and it's like they they just had fun but then it's like oh Bastila is gone and like everything that could go wrong did go wrong and they're like we were just having fun like you know on hawaii and okay i guess this is what we're coming (laughs) back to so they could be mentioned uh throughout the the movie and like maybe they appear in a hologram you know but i think they'd be back for knights of the old republic 3 like i don't know if i would see them being like on korriban Perhaps maybe Lehan, you know, like, because it is yeah. the home world of the Sith. Like, I think that, like, maybe they could do a mission elsewhere to, like, maybe do some tracking of, like, Jedi survivors for Revan. Like, mm-hmm. a little bit strategically to be, like, make them feel important, but also kind of protect them. Um, yeah. Because he's not a heartless monster, so. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we're not going to get a a ton of time with them. I think that they they do come back because I would like to in my head kind of I I think it's important that we kind of thinned out the the cast a little bit here for the first two films, but I think that the third film I I would really like to find a way to kind of have everyone involved in some capacity and I think that you know getting them back right now is probably the best way to to go about doing that and yeah, I think they can come back. They can they can lend a hand getting off the Leviathan and 
uh, you know, they'll be there. Mission, always the uh, optimist, is uh, going to do her best to get everyone, you know, cheered up as they're going to find the last of the remaining star maps. And uh, yeah, more more big Z is always good. So I think you'll know, get them back on the team and uh, let them go and we'll see what we can cook up for them in the uh, third act. Yeah. And for Malik, with the dark-sided characters, I'm kind of like, I don't know if there's much of an arc uh, in my mind, like, but as I kind of thought about it, I'm like, oh, Malik kind of does have an arc, but I mean, like, with Star Wars, like, sometimes it's more like the characters are more like archetypes than, like, full-blown characters sometimes. I think mm-hmm. especially with dark-sided characters, it's like, okay, they're dark-sided and they have a mask, that's their personality, and it's like, oh, okay. Uh, but with Malik, right. like, when he does the reveal... He's really just doing it to utterly break the Ebonhawk crew, like their psyche, like their motivation, their will, and like everything. Uh, he's just, um, I think he's trying to prove to himself that he is stronger and better than Revan. He's he's trying to just like, maybe it's a bit like Wonder Woman 1984, where like, you know, not the greatest movie, but one thing I did like about that is Barbara begins mm-hmm. the movie by being jealous of Diana to wanting to be Diana. And then when she finally is like her equal, she wants to surpass her and take her off the map, you know? And like, I was like, oh, that's kind of like Darth Malik, you know, like he can't. Yep leave the past behind he can't have his future i mean that's kind of what the the dark side is is it's kind of just being angry but without any like anything constructive going along with it you know so it's like he's kind of just stuck in the past and can't move on so that's what i kind of see his arc as i think for malik's arc it's just yeah kind of the those typical star wars bad guy kind of tropes but i think that his will be kind of interesting. We can check in from or with him from time to time because I we're hunting down these star maps and Malik presumably knows where all of these things are because he went around with Revan and, uh, you know, looked them all up before. But um, I think that it's so it's kind of a cat and mouse game. Like he kind of always knows where we are and where we're going and, you know, kind of sets up this confrontation because he knows that that's a good opportunity to break Revan and Bastila and he knows at this point he's probably stronger than both of them obviously as the the way that this uh turn goes um I think he's going to be pretty charismatic um and I think that uh, like I mentioned kind of you know framing like kind of the last scenes like he's going to be able to use uh Bastila and the Jedi Council's language very effectively to uh kind of turn Bastila you know telling her things that she's always been been taught and really you know, just kind of, kind of twisting that knife in her a little bit and, you know, getting her, getting her to go over the edge. But that's kind of how I see uh, Darth Malak in this one. Yeah. I mean, I'm a, as I've kind of mentioned, I'm a little bit of like an English major, kind of like a literature, you know, nerd and stuff. And like, if you, if you Mm -hmm. ever read like Paradise Lost, like, um, Mm. like the snake, like Satan, like goes to Eve and like, He's not lying to her, but he's definitely trying to deceive her in that poem, you know? And it's like, yeah. Um, 
so I think like Malik isn't exactly like lying to Bastila, but he's definitely telling her the truth from a certain point of view to kind of like try to get a specific outcome, you know? So I kind of see it like that. Um, so it's like, he's not lying, but like, is he telling the truth? Probably not. But like, he's, he's just wanting her to like embrace the dark side, you know? So yeah. Yep. So there's there's more going on with Malik than I probably give credit for. So um yeah, so I think in a in an adaptation like you could you could do more, I think than than the first game did for sure. Um mm-hmm. All right. With Sel Kareth, um he is the source of Karth's drama. Um, I think he just wants to hurt Karth even more before he goes. Like, mm-hmm. sometimes people are just horrible people, you know? And, like, that's really the only reason he told Karth who Revan was, uh, just to break him once again, I think. And I'm like, oh, wow, like, some people really are that cruel, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah, I just have here that he's he's kind of a heel for Karth, some sort of a, a thing he needs to confront about his his own story. Um, I think we get maybe Karth telling the story about Saul um, and his role in you know his life and you know taking out his uh, home planet, his uh, wife and son. Maybe he kind of tells that story aboard the Ebon Hawk at some point. Um, so we kind of kind of know who he is before we actually you know get to the Leviathan and have the confrontation with him there um and i i wonder if it would be interesting you know as we know that saul's on on the leviathan and we know that karth knows saul and uh you know bastila knows that saul knows too right so it's like everyone knows that someone knows it's it's kind of like friends you know like uh yeah chandler and monica so except with more drama and galactic-wide consequences so that's right. Yeah. The penultimate person on the list I have is Darth Bandon. He's really oh, okay. not much of a character. Um, <laughs> I, I think the most interesting thing about him is determining when he dies. Mm-hmm. Part of me is like, ooh, maybe it could be the end of the first movie. And you kind of get hints of like Bastila being maybe a little too brutal, you know, like a double lightsaber to double lightsaber, and maybe it could be on Tatooine. So there's a little bit more flashbang, you know, in in the Tatooine uh, section, or it could be on the Leviathan, and where it's like, uh, where like Bastila takes out Malik's intern, and then Malik is like, I know who to have as my next intern, the person that took out my You're intern, right. you know. So wh- when do you think yeah. he should die? Yeah, you you could almost play it right, like uh, like Sidious telling Anakin to to kill Count Dooku, right? It's just kind of be like, uh, go get rid of that guy or something like that. But I think you could make it a little bit more dramatic. Maybe get an extra um, lightsaber duel, so maybe um, Jolie or Juhani or uh, them together maybe confront him on the Leviathan. You know, you have everyone else with their with their blasters and stuff, and they're dealing with the other you know kind of Sith warriors and patrol droids stuff like that so maybe have a 
there's an opportunity there to have more of a lightsaber fight because I don't think that um, either of us really see the Malik Revan Bastila confrontation to really be much of a lightsaber duel, more of a duel of words. So maybe you get some good lightsaber action there with uh, Bandon and Jolie and Juhani. Yeah, that is a, that is a good thing. So some good thoughts, I would say. So because there's some things I'm some ideas I'm absolutely married to and some things where I'm like, eh, it could be tweaked, you know, like, right. You, you yeah. can move it around. You know, I'm I'm, I'm kind of just like, eh, Darth Bandon, who cares? So, um, <laughs> yeah. And then the, the last character on the list is kind of like a group of characters. Um, mm-hmm. The Jedi Council. Um, I think their role, this is not, their trilogy like most of the i think there's like a few exceptions like maybe like master dorak and master vandar like they look okay at the end of it but i think the majority it's kind of like all the jedi on dantooine like have some issues you know and it's like the idea to like mind wipe a sith lord is sketchy you know, and like yeah. they seem a little bit too. They kind of coddle Bastila, I think, but kind of just they dangle like knighthood and mas- being a master in front of her. Mm-hmm. Like they're kind of just like not great parents. Like they're not giving Bastila like what she needs, and like kind of like not helping her grow. You know, so it's like right. They kind of use everyone, and I think that they kind of reap what they sow when Dan- the Dantooine Enclave is destroyed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so for me, for the Jedi Council, I think that we we see them interact largely just in doing some uh, transmissions back and forth with Bastila. Maybe they're just kind of kind of checking in, right? Like, you know, <laughs> call your parents after you get back to the Ebonhawk and let them know, you know, how things are are going but i think that maybe during these transmissions you know they're asking her you know how things are going how they're progressing uh what's happening with revan you know what has she been doing and they're like well okay you know they're kind of you know patronizing towards her and you know that's just gonna you know be another little thing that is you know kind of veering her course off off track here yeah, I think if, like, Bastila says, like, here's what I think, and, like, this is what I've determined, this is what I'm going to do, and then it's like, that's not what we think you should do, you know, you need to do it this way, or 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 else it's the wrong way, and, like, you're playing with the dark side, you know, and uh, so I think you could definitely kind of play up that, you know? Um, yeah. So, yeah, th- that's all, the, the, that's the characters I, I could think of, um... Were there any that you think that I missed? No, I don't. I don't think so. Unless, uh, unless Callow Nord's going to spring up and make an appearance. But I, I think we're done with Callow Nord. So him and Darth Bandon are are about uh, done with here. I think so. Yeah. So looking forward to the future, we will um, be kind of doing an overview of the third film, and I think like before we do that, we are going to kind of talk about the ring theory because I think it really comes in play in Knights of the Old Republic and especially Act 3. So we're going to be talking about the prequel Strike Back, which was done by Ministry of Cinema. So that will be fun. And then 
we'll try to have some some fun guests on to talk about uh Korriban, uh Lee Han, you know, and the Starforge and uh we're kind of we're kind of coming up close on finishing like I guess you could say it season 1 of this podcast. Mm-hmm. And then we'll kind of make the transition to doing uh I guess season 2, you know. Maybe we'll talk about the Revan novel before we do that, but yeah, uh, yeah, it, it'll be exciting, I think. Yeah, there's lots of good uh, Knights of the Old Republic out there still left to talk about for sure. But yeah, it's uh, fun getting to, you know, wrap up this second film and uh, kind of cross these ones off our list. You know, at least for now, I'm sure there will always be good reason to kind of come back to these places and characters. But yeah, look for all of that stuff in the future and look out for more uh, awesome lo-fi tracks. We've got some more of those in the works. So if you want to get a sneak peek of what we've got going on there, make sure you head over to our Patreon and check that stuff out. It can be found at www.patreon.com slash Podcast, And, you know, have a look at what we have. All right. Thank you. And may the force be with you. And you can find us on Instagram at Podcast. And if you want to connect with me, I can be found on Instagram at astro underscore droid underscore. On Patreon, the link is in our Instagram bio, or you can find it at www.patreon.com slash Podcast. The Ebon Hawk can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, as well as everywhere else that Anchor Podcasts are distributed. Subscriptions, reviews, and shares help us out. Our intro and outro themes were composed by Alistair Shoreman at alistairsounds.wixsite.com forward slash alistairsounds. Our transition music was composed by Christian Walker at christianwalkermusic.com. This episode of the Evan Hawk podcast has been brought to you by Nikki Dog from Patreon. May the force be with you. We will be back soon. Bye for now. <laughs>